Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 168th episode of the award-winning Diverse Minds Podcast. And this month's theme is all about nutrition and mental health. And to join me this week is Dr. Amanda Adkins. Dr. Amanda Adkins is a board-certified internal medicine physician, health coach, owner of Enlightenment Health and Wealth. She has a deep passion for ensuring that everyone has a chance at healthy and a happy life. Her most recent focus has been to help women who are overweight prevent and possibly reverse chronic illnesses such as diabetes, heart disease, and high blood pressure. Both through her medical and personal experience, she shows how our lifestyle can lead to remarkable changes in our health and our ability to fulfill God's will for our lives. And she became interested in helping women prevent chronic disease because she was an overweight teenager who wanted better for her life than to feel defeated by weight. There's a lot of heart disease, diabetes and cancer in her family, and she knew if she didn't change, she would end up with some, if not all of these illnesses. And it's great to be joined by someone from the U.S. who can talk about this from a U.S. African-American perspective. And we're going to be delving deeper into the connection between physical health, mental health, racism and healing through food. So, Amanda, a huge welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm re- I really appreciate it because we were just talking and I know it's 7 a.m. your time. So again, you know, this is not it's not always the easiest on a Friday morning to get up, be incredibly presentable and come on a show. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm, I, I'm actually more of a morning person. So that's why I like to get up and uh, get, get the day started and, and go. Um, so no, no worries about it being so early. <laughs> <laughs> so I've just read out your bio, Amanda, but I think it's really great for listeners to hear. What are you working on at the moment? What projects do you have in the pipeline? Uh, so currently I'm working um, on a six-week program. I actually have uh, ladies going through that now where we help women who are overweight prevent and reverse chronic illnesses. Um, so their main focus is to help with their uh, blood pressure, diabetes, or weight, um, and then just to be overall healthier. Brilliant. And on that, I'd love to know, I think it'd be really great for people to know, what was your journey to becoming a doctor of internal medicine? Oh, yes. So this, it's a, it's a decades in progress, I tell people. So I actually wanted to become a physician from the age of 12 um, in sixth grade health class. And a lot of people will say, you know, when they want to be a doctor, they want to help people. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, we all want to help people. But that wasn't my original thought when I first learned about um, the human body. So I have to give a shout out to my sixth grade teacher for making it more interactive. So this was before, you know, technology and everything that we have today. So he had a picture of a heart and the vascular system on the ground on like a little map. And the, um, the, the students, so me included, had to walk in a line of how the blood flowed through the body. And I just thought that was amazing of how the, the human body worked. And from then on, I was like, I want to, you know, become a physician to actually learn how this human body works and how to how to help people um, with different disease states. So we go from that to, you know, you have to graduate high school and everything there and into med school, which people describe that as trying to drink out of a fire hydrant. So it's just like blows your mind about everything 
in, in the human body, but it's still all fascinating. And sometimes you get bogged down with everything that's going on there, but um, it still is very enlightened um, progress and process. Um, and then you go through residency, um, which is an, another hard thing. I know now that they have, you know, TV shows that show that it's not as um, cheerful <laughs> and as as 30, 30 minutes or an hour wrap up um, that it actually is made to be seen. It's it's a very hard, grueling process, um, but um, they change it to the 80 hour work weeks. But you learn a lot. You meet a lot of different people. Um, and it's just fascinating to see and then going on there from uh, training into actually being a uh, what we call attending. Um, so you're, you graduated, you passed all your exams and all the exams that you have to take and continue to take. And it, it just it just was, you know, hard but rewarding at the same time, especially now when you're out talking to patients and uh, especially for me being an African-American uh, female where I actually get patients and they come in, they see me and they're like, oh my goodness, I never had African-American doctor. I'm so glad that you're here. And, you know, just to understand that more uh, from what they're coming from, because I didn't come from a family that was in the healthcare space at all. Um, I'm the first person there, especially to be a, a physician in my family. And it, it was just, you know, eye-opening because, you know, growing up, I just, you know, just thought, you know, from sixth grade, I'll do this. But um, the the pride that it brings to my family and also uh, to my community to come back and, and, and help them in different ways is, is more rewarding than I thought in sixth grade that it would be. Oh, that's really lovely to hear. And just something on terminology. So residency in the UK would be sort of the junior doctor or when you're um, at university doing your medicine. And then the next stage, I suppose it's junior doctor stroke registrar that you're talking about, just so people know, Amanda. Yes. Yeah, thank you. No, thank you so much. And I think, yeah, the, the, the medical journey across the globe is very arduous, whichever country you're in. And of course, we have different healthcare systems, mix of private, public, private and public around the globe. So yeah, thank you. And that is a beautiful story when you said, um, yeah, because I walk into a room and if I see, I mean, in, in the UK, there are lots of doctors that look like me, but um, also, you know, British black doctors as well. My heart does soar because I do feel uh, mm -hmm. a lot safer in that space. Um, yes. So, of course, you talk, you, you know, you, your work started in this because you talked about being uh, or, you you know, in your bio, we, I talked about um, you being over, you you identified as being overweight as a teenager and how uh, there is a lot of heart disease, diabetes and specific diseases that we often see in black global majority and diaspora communities in the in the global north and west. And I also wanted to ask you, so we know about the physical side, but what about the connection between mental health and mental ill health, culture and nutrition? So, yeah, how, what else have you seen with that, that connection um, as well as the internal health? Yes. So so that's, I would say, newer for me, because most times people come in and we talk about mostly the physical but the more that I dig into learning about um, what I'm studying for lifestyle medicine now is the more I see how the, the mental and emotional part actually plays a role. And it actually plays a huge role in physical health, too, because if a lot of people are you know, anxious, depressed or stressed, then their physical health definitely takes a toll also. So with even just mental health for depression, anxiety, stress that um, there's been several studies that show that eating more um, fruits and vegetables actually improve mood um, for uh, these clients or patients. 
or people um, in general, and that eating fast food or foods that are high in sugar, highly processed food, actually um, increases your risk for depression or makes your depression or anxiety worse. So I I'm usually tell people um, you eat whole food for the whole body. So whether it's mental, emotional, or physical, that it helps in every aspect. So it, that's what I love about, you know, plant-based nutrition is because you can't just single it out and say, oh, you know, you eat this for this for certain thing or this for that certain thing. Um, because there's the fruits and vegetables have so many different um, nutrients and things in there that it helps with, you know, all these different aspects in your body. And so usually you can't go wrong if you're eating fruits and vegetables because you will feel better in, in so, so many ways. So um, the more I learn, the more I'm just fascinated. Like I said, from my sixth grade story, the human body is amazing. <laughs> So the, the more I see how it actually all intertwines, it, it just it continues to fascinate me, which continues to make me a lifelong learner. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, if anyone wants to check out um, the first episode for the series, I talk about some of the research that's been done. There have been lots of studies, different scales as well, but we know more research needs to be done in this area. And mm -hmm. um, I also wanted to ask you about racism and mental ill health, actually, and diet, because, of course, if people are treated in a particular way, it could be overtly, it could be covertly, it can be the presentation of barriers, not being able to achieve what you want to. Um, and often we turn to comfort food, which we feel great at the time eating, whether it's donuts or processed pizza not homemade pizza um, and then the impact it has on our mental well-being so I wanted to ask you a little bit about as well about you know with your patients and your own lived experience of racism and you know the benefits of cooking and nutrition as a it doesn't solve things but as a form of self-soothing and as a form of protection for our mental well-being yeah so whenever we're stressed I'll just tell you a story about how I used to actually cope with stress from you know, residency through um, med school and um, uh, attending, you know, because like I said, being African-American female physician, you definitely feel that even within the healthcare system from like colleagues and people that are over you. And, and it's just, it can be definitely um, pulling on your mental health. Um, you wonder if you belong, you, you start to have, you know, those feelings of depression, uh, feeling of, anxiety and stress um, that come into just showing up for the workplace um, to see if that's going to be a place that you can thrive in. And I would, um, I was an avid, I say Coca-Cola drinker, um, <laughs> you know, going through residency and even my first few years as, as an attending. And I would call my sister and say, it's, you know, it's a Coke type of day. I would stop Coca-Cola and have it there. And that was, like you said, my soothing thing because it it tasted good on my um, in my mouth, um, knowing it was not doing good for my physical or mental health um, because I still would feel those you know those symptoms of feeling anxious and depressed. And the more I transition out of that, um, the quicker I can come out of that. And like you said, it doesn't necessarily change how you um, feel um, all the time when people you just have that weight on you all the time. Um, but it definitely can improve your uh, sense of optimism um, and knowing that it's not necessarily you that has the, the problem. It's more of outside. And the more you can take care of yourself, the more likely that you're able to strive and, and thrive in this in this community. And when you have that feeling of feeling depressed or stressed um, from what do we call it, um, the um, 
the governments are, you know, um, institutional racism, that, that's what it is, um, to where it's like built into the systems <clears throat> and where people may feel like, oh, you know, we don't have that um, anymore in the United States where we're actually seeing that that's not the case because um, people would think that you're just crazy when you bring things up. Um, but definitely, like I said, if you improve your own mental health, you actually have the higher optimism, you're more likely to be productive and realize that um, the more you're in community, that you're not, it's not your issue, it's the outside issue. And you're just, um, some people are there to bring it more to the forefront and it can actually um, help you out in the long term to be able to talk about that. And I'm glad you brought that up so people know that it still exists and um, that you're not feeling crazy because again, me, me going through the, the medical um, school and, and uh, system, you, sometimes you feel like you don't belong um, and they make you feel like you don't belong. And um, it, that, that takes a, a huge toll on you long, long term. Um, and like I said, I'm just now getting over some of the things that would happen um, from med school and residency because you're like, oh my gosh, you know, what, what in the world's going on? I never was treated this way. Um, but you just realized that that was going on at the time. And again, it wasn't, it wasn't me, it was more of them. So yeah, thank you, Amanda. And it's really hard. Like you said, it doesn't just go away overnight either. Um, mm -hmm. And part of me really wonders, actually, with, with diseases that we see predominantly in Black British, African American, British South Asian um, communities, diabetes, heart disease, uh, certain cancers, part of me wonders whether that's a result of stress, stress from racism, and then the whole package, because, and again, there's not been enough research done on this, right? so I don't want to claim these things, but I do feel like, you know, and, and I get very angry when people say, oh, you know, Asian food isn't healthy, um, Caribbean food isn't healthy, and that's not true. If you think about rice and peas, you think about callaloo soup. I mean, the ackee and saltfish, these are very nutrient-rich foods. So how right. can that be the case when you have many, um, you know, mainstream British communities really eating very badly, but not having the same disease profiles. So again, this is what makes me think about this. And I don't have the research and I'm very keen on research, but I'd love to know your sort of perspective and thoughts on that, actually, as I'm saying this. <laughs> Yeah, like you said, it, it, I think that would be hard to prove. Um, all we can go by is a theory, but like you said, how, how in the world would that be, you know, different for the same communities that you have? Like you said, um, all, all I know is about the U.S., so I'm saying African-Americans are definitely like number one in a lot of issues, um, especially uh, dying from these chronic, chronic illnesses. Um, and you wonder why, whether it is um, some cheap, some people say the, the lack of health care, but they also have um, where they don't have uh, access to some of the foods that will actually help them out. Um, and then some are just like I said, they were brought up that way. Um, one of the physicians, uh, cardiologists here in the States actually um, talks about what uh, our mentality of slave food um, and how, you know, that's what we were brought up on and continue to bring that through generations for you know the 400 years and and on and you said well why do you eat that well that's what my mom cooked that's what my grandmother cooked you know um so just educating some on the changes in that but um getting still out of that mental space of feeling like you are, are oppressed um is a big thing that we are still trying to conquer in the african-american community so they know that again that you do belong here you are important um, and trying to get over that hump to actually then get to their physical health 
is, is sometimes very difficult barrier to overcome. That is so interesting. But I didn't, I hadn't realized about the quote unquote slave food and the legacy of that. And actually, some of that might be going back to the ancestors' food as well. And and but the history that's been lost because language and food was taken away from right. several people. Okay, that's very interesting. And I think that's a difference with many South Asian communities is actually we still have our food, we still have our recipes, and that's been carried on. So yeah. yes, thank you for that. And I think maybe similarly with Hispanic Latinx communities as well, to us mm-hmm. to a degree. Yeah. Um, and I'd really love to know from, again, from your perspective, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges for um, uh, Black, Latinx, uh, South Asian, uh, Pacific Islanders, Native Indigenous communities in accessing sub- holistic support for both mental and physical health around nutrition? Well, one, the, the lack of knowledge of the providers. <laughs> we don't get a lot of uh, education in nutrition necessarily um, we have to seek it out like I knew nothing about nutrition I mean I don't even remember one class in med school about nutrition and health Um, it's usually just um, yeah lifestyle is something you try first but you really need to know about how to prescribe these medications so so that would be number one and then the um, the lack of um, trust of the healthcare system. So sometimes if you think, especially um, in the um, minority communities that, oh, if you go and seek out a therapist or a psychiatrist, you know, you're considered crazy. You know, you don't, you know, go out and tell other people your, um, you know, your your demons or what goes on on the inside um, or even um, 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 in the church, um, you like, you can just pray it out. Um, I would tell people, you know, being there's people here that were placed on the or- the earth to actually help you. So just like I'm helping you with your physical health, there's someone that can help you with your mental health. And you need them both in um, a healthy, you need your, your mental health healthy and your physical health healthy for you to strive as a actual person. And so I, t- I do have that conversation a lot with my patients um, because sometimes they think that they are weak if they seek out help for their mental health. And I'm like, you, you're a strong person to ask for help. Um, because if you try to do it all on yourself, you're going to be weak. So you have to lean on others, just like sometimes others lean on you um, to actually, and I actually had a, a patient earlier this week, and I was just like, no, you are not the glue that keeps everything together. You don't think of yourself as the glue. Everyone leans on each other. So please, you know, seek out the help that you need. And sometimes you just need to find the right person um, to actually speak with. Um, so like I said, I take that very seriously as a primary care physician when people come in and ask. And that's the first thing. As soon as they say something, I said, are you open to you know going to therapy and, and seeking that out? Um, so they know that they don't necessarily have to ask for it. I'm going to ask them, do they want it? And I tell them that it's important. Um, well, how it like again affects their physical health, their their diabetes, their high blood pressure, um, their because the stress, like you said, that weighs on them, um, and they just they need that relief to have. And and I tell them that they need someone outside of their sometimes their community, someone that knows them, because sometimes we hold back when it's someone that we know because we don't want them to know everything that's going on deep in our thoughts. And just to have a stranger um, to let that go with sometimes that definitely helps a bit more. Um, so, so it is still a, it's still a struggle, but I just continue to try to encourage people to seek out that help and that, um, if you don't find it within your own primary care physician, I tell people continue to look around. Um, you can definitely, there's, there's people out there that definitely want to help you. 
Um, and if you have to find someone that looks like you to know that, you know, it's important, um, definitely do that too. It's so true. Um, you, you know, your first point about the providers, not linking things together and this idea that, uh, the way that things are done is neutral they're not it's not neutral it's from a particular perspective and I think it's crucial to mention that and yes your point about uh, find someone that looks like you I think because that builds trust and you don't have to spend time explaining things because we know that's yes. such a huge part of the exhaustion isn't it and the fear of I'd rather just sit with it because to explain it all makes me feel sick whereas if I go right. to someone and they just go okay here's the Excel space we know we feel safe from the minute we put our foot through the door as it were Yes, exactly. Exactly. That That's so true. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I have a lot of people that say that, like, I don't want to have to explain to somebody about, you know, how this how this situation actually weighs on me, even though it's not a part of me. You know, um, whether you see all the the killings on, you know, social media or on the news and then how you like I have um, nephews. So just thinking of them like going out. Um, and, you know, driving and, you know, you know, all that weighs on you when you see it, even though it doesn't affect necessarily your, your family. And, and they don't want to have to explain that to somebody like, like you said, so that that was the point of that story. Like, um, so you just go in and, and that's, and I, I never thought about that initially either until patients came in and they said this happened. And I mean, I immediately felt that and they, they knew they're like, I know you understand what I'm saying. Um, without having to, you know, go into great detail, just, you know, the one thing that happened, I'm like, oh my goodness. So, so, so it's, it's still, like I said, a work in progress. And the more that we can bring it to light, the more that people will actually understand what people are going through. Yeah, thank you so much, Amanda. And then thinking about workplaces. So um, we know that this is a various scales where people have a little bit of work, you know, it could be around, um, they're on the cusp of developing diabetes, but it could also be about mental health, it could be um, on different parts of the scale. And what do you think workplaces can do to talk more about food, health, nutrition, mental health in particular, and connection? So not just weight loss, because I think we're quite obsessed in the West, West with weight loss, but also how we nourish ourselves. And I talked in the first podcast episode for this series about when I say nutrition I mean the nourishment how we nourish ourselves and you've mentioned mm -hmm. that as well with resilience and looking after ourselves what do you think workplaces could be doing more of in this space oh my that that's a big big thing there um especially I'll speak for the healthcare system um because we're here to help people yet we can definitely be the worst at that and i I look at um, our clinic and the the medical assistants and the front office staff of how you know they sit all day and they don't get their breaks um, and barely time for lunch for my hospital nurses or something like that. And we're not actually um, as uh, the administration things like that looking at how that's actually uh, uh, causing them to have decrease in their product productivity at work. So they may think, oh, well, they just need to show up. But if you had these things in place to where you had access to adequate nutrients, so fruits and vegetables and whole grains and not, like you said, um, the donuts that they bring in or the um, the holiday lunches. I'm not going to get started on that. I got an email about what they're, they're having for the holiday lunch. And I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> so, um, so they need to, like when they have those things to offer, more healthier choices for people. So I know sometimes they're like, well, people aren't going to eat that if you, you know, bring in all, because they, everybody in my, my um, clinic know that I do plant-based, um, you have to have healthy, 
you know, don't bring me a cake. You better bring me some fruit, you know, something like that. And I just think that if we had that more mentality to having that offered for people that they would do better. And like I said, not better just for, for themselves, but it actually is a good business move. Cause you know, that's what most people think when they're in the workplace. Um, and that people will be happier. Like we already said, they're, um, they have higher optimism. They have increased mood, like they're happier, more joyful, probably more happy to be there. And then actually it will actually show in their performance at work. Um, and I usually always uh, recommend people go for a walk during their lunch hour, like take that break and, you know, walk around. That's not only good for your physical health, that's good for your mental health. That's something I do to reset for the afternoon. You know, if we have those things in place, um, one of my other jobs, we um, had a um, contest to where uh, we had teams to see how many people are who can get the most miles with walking. Um, so things like that people can do to actually get the, um, the staff engaged um, with different health, healthy behaviors. And like you said, it doesn't help with just physical health. It helps a lot with mental health. Um, and just to show that you're, um, as an employer, you're concerned about your employees' well-being. Because um, I talk to the patients a lot about this, too. I'm like, uh, if something happens to you and you're sick and you're in the hospital, they don't think twice about replacing you. So you, you have to take care of yourself. So you have to look out for yourself. Um, but some more uh, providers are actually being more conscious of how it actually affects their employees and want to actually reach out. So um, definitely have um, healthier food options available. Let them get their breaks to go on like walks and uh, maybe do like little contests um, to get the, um, the uh, em employees engaged in, um, you know, healthy uh, competition. <laughs> yeah that works really well doesn't it and I'm also thinking about hybrid working too because um people might be at home and they 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 might be eating a bit better but they might not be getting up from their desks I know that people right. go from meeting back to back to back so yeah really mm -hmm. good initiative and I think having you know we've got all sorts of apps and scoreboards online that can take care of these things so I think that's a great idea um yes, and yes. then Amanda you know you're an incredibly busy professional and you carry you know, I think working in healthcare, we you will carry things even as a professional. So I'd love to know, how do you look after your own mental health? And would you like to share your top three tips? So um, I actually have uh, coaches. I actually just started with a, a meditation teacher not too long ago. So um, like I said, mental health was not something that was in the forefront of my mind. I was just trying to get through med school and, you know, survive and, and thrive from that. Um, so actually learning how to take care of my mental health um, through meditation. Um, I'm also an avid exercise exerciser. So um, I love to hike and run and be out in nature, which being in nature does, uh, you know, a lot for our mental health um, where, um, you know, touching like the trees and the plants, like my meditation teacher talked to me about that, like as I'm walking and like you have that, that life that's, um, they can't necessarily talk back to you, but it's life in the plant. And if you touch that life, you know, it gives life to you also. Um, so that's one thing that I picked up. Um, also, emotional cleansing is another um, tip I would um, say to give to people, um, which I also was taught by my meditation teacher, things that kind of build up um, to write it out, own your feelings, write it out, um, and don't let other people take control of your feelings. You don't say that this person made me feel this way. You know, you, you just say, I feel whatever it is, and you just write that out, and then you just throw it away, like you get, you get rid of it, so it doesn't build up, it doesn't build up stress for you, 
Um, and then you do something that's physical to also release that. So she had us doing these breathing exercises where we're like, ah, ah, <laughs> you know, stuff like that to just push all that out. Um, and it helps um, uh, physically and mentally. Um, so I would say, you know, definitely eating healthy um, is a, a help for your mental tip. So fruits and vegetables every day, um, doing the emotional cleansing um, and going for a walk, touching nature, um, and then make sure you're connected with other people of uh, similar likes and minds. So that social connection piece also helps um, to where if you're with other people um, that can build you up um, and they, you can also build them up will also help with your mental health. So um, these are the things I'm actively working on to try to continue to improve my mental health so I can be physically available for my family because I don't want to um, like I said, um, die early of any illnesses either. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that, that's what I would say to, for people find, find a routine and, and stick with it. And I always love asking that question because every single guest, it's brilliant, has a different, uh, there's a different tip. There might be some overlap, but your emotional cleansing one, I think is a great one. Um, and if you, and listeners, if you want to know more about nature and mental health, do check out episode number 89, where I talk about research and more information about this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Amanda, you know, you're based in the US, but I'm sure there are people who want to know more about your work. And I will, of course, include all the links in the show notes, but how should people contact you? How should people find you if they want to know more? Yeah, so I have a website at dramandamd.com. Um, I'm also on social media at Dr. Amanda Atkins. And I always spell my last name, A-D as in dog, K-I-N-S, um, which in the U.S., there's a different type of Atkins that does different um, uh, nutrition-based things. So I tell them I'm on the opposite end of that spectrum there. <laughs> brilliant and do check out the show notes for that and Amanda it's been such an honor to speak with you today and have this conversation um, as always I learned so much so really appreciate the time that you've taken for us today yes ma'am thank you so much for having me I enjoyed being here also brilliant everyone and listeners take care we will be talking about food addiction in the next episode so please don't forget to join us and until then take care thanks for listening to the diverse minds podcast don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.